A non-ordinary life requires a non-ordinary approach. Welcome to the Sears Edge. My name is Juliette Trinka, and I'm here as your guide in living the full adventure and abundance that you came here to live. During my 20 years of practicing as a shaman, I've helped thousands of leaders to unlock their full potential and actualize their vision. What I know is that ritual, leadership, magic, and wealth are intrinsically woven together. This podcast is a discovery of living the full mystery of who you are while opening to deeper trust in life than you've ever allowed. Learn how you can make your quantum leap with us at getlifemastery.com. No surprise, but you were in my dreams last night. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And it was really simple. You were just going around to a number of different people because they were calling you by an incorrect name. And so you were just telling them how to call you. And it wasn't uh -huh. like with any sort of anger or irritation. It was like this kindness, you know, mm, like, mm. let me make sure that you know who I actually am. Interesting. So who are you actually? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Be still and know that I am God, you know, not, not separate, not different. So are you, but like, I think what, what that speaks to for me is a huge breakthrough that I've had recently, which happened, of course, in the context of a conversation with Kalpna. Like there's, you know, when I zoom out and pay attention to like where my most breathtaking and life-changing insights come from, they always come in conversation with her, you know, great mentors, great coaches. And then like when, it, when it, it's just awesome. So this big one was the realization that I have lived a story since probably fourth grade that I am not understood. And I've touched the edges of this in like the story that my dad called me an odd duck, which check this out. My mom says the little jumper that I came home from the hospital in when I was born. This. Yeah, literally. And look what's on it. Yeah, I see a it. A duck, a duck. And so I've I've worked through the shadow of I'm an odd duck and I've seen my dad's endearment in it. And I, and then I, and I alchemized that and I took the oddness as my uniqueness and my power and, and, and I've created with it that way. And that's been beautiful. And also I can see through my life in the fear of not being understood. When I was in fourth grade, I moved to a new school and didn't have any friends, got pushed around, got bullied. The fear of not being understood became, I need to be understood. So I become really freaking great at communicating and I make sure you can understand me because if I don't, then I'm alone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I can see also how not being understood has like forged the strength and capacity in me to communicate effectively and being, being understandable but it doesn't make the fear go away. So the breakthrough recently is not this, that, part's, that part I've known I've been working through, but the realization was this, is that one of the ways the shadow has been showing up is that I have found my ability to be understood by a small select subgroup of people, the really intellectual person to learn people, the people with the, the certain vocabulary. And it reminds me of like when I was the unaccepted kid and then I found the punk rockers and the skateboarders and I became the cool kid in the group of kids that weren't that cool. Yeah. Right. And so I was like yeah. the top of a very small food chain in the bigger in the scheme of things in that kind of way. And it was like, and so I've lived that out my whole life. And, and, and so I've always said to my wife and to Kiara, director of my company, it's when they were like, oh, you need to be able to communicate to all people. You kind of speak over people's heads. Like you just, 
And I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that. What I realized is like, I've been hyper-focused on speaking to a very small subset of people because I was afraid that I wouldn't be understood by everybody and therefore I'm not for the common man or woman. And so uh, it, it was the answer to this question that I've been asking a while is like, why is the work that I'm doing not reaching more people? Unbeknownst to me, it was because I didn't believe that most people could hear me and I had to speak to the subgroup. And so I've had this holy shit moment of like realizing who I am. I'm not an odd duck, I'm just a duck. I'm just a duck just like everybody else. And when I say I'm a champion for everyone, my heart wants to serve everybody, but I was being a champion for everyone and the small subset of those who could understand me. So I've really started to let that go. And so I think what your dream is speaking to for me is being able to look out to everybody in the world and say, I'm just like you, we're cool. I, you, I understand you, you understand me. Um, because before I think I was looking at like, where, where, where are my people? The, just the, the handful out of these yeah. hundreds that, yeah. that, are, that are safe. So is there is there any distinction? Maybe it's less that you're speaking to a certain kind of person, but that you're speaking to a certain something in everyone. Yeah, that's the that's the big difference. Like, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was cutting most people off because of my fear that they wouldn't understand me, wouldn't love me. So I couldn't see that everyone has this Everyone can be a creator, you know, in my work. And as I, and I'm like, holy shit, it's not only the holding back from communicating in certain ways. There's so many things that I won't do in my business or actions I won't take or ways that I'll redirect my energy because that's safer. They wouldn't understand me anyway. That's what that speaks to for me, for sure. I'm just thinking of like the words that I want, because the way that it comes forward is if there's anything to do with timing, because there's, there's this teaching that I'm aware of called the genius freak which is that when you're really honoring your voice and saying what wants to be said when it wants to be said, mm -hmm. that everybody understands and you seem like a genius, not in an yeah. egoic way, but like that it's like, oh my God, that's the thing I was waiting to hear. But when you try to modify what you're saying, then it comes off as like, what? Like that makes mm. no sense. I don't resonate. Yeah. I think that's, that's going to be there too. I mean, I have a I have a capacity to speak my truth in a way where there's coherence and congruence and alignment that is still not intelligible by a lot of people because whilst I'm speaking truth, it's not like I'm afraid to say it. It's like I'm I'm saying it in a way that's not attentive to the listener, to, to all listeners. I'm only attentive to, it's I'm only speaking to the person who I know can safely hear me. And if I'm writing, right, and I'm writing a letter to somebody that's like deep in this work, I can speak in certain ways. But if I'm going to write a letter to my six-year-old son and then read it to him, it's like, I got I to gotta change how I'm communicating to speak to that person. And so I feel like I've just been myopically focused on who I'm speaking to. And so my empathetic, compassionate, open-hearted way of communicating to that person is still inaudible to some to others. And as soon as I open my heart to everybody, like my communication automatically adapts. So maybe that's maybe that's what you're talking about. But I certainly know that's distinct from just the overall fear of being straight and honest and open about like what's on your right. heart and mind, you know? Yeah. Um, what else is there? I was just wondering what else is there. Oh, the other thing that was there when you first started asking, it's like from around timing. You know, I think this is following the unfolding of my surrender to the king archetype, archetypal energy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, that the, the expansiveness that comes with claiming kingship, 
you know, and, and the capacity to, to rule an empire, to raise order from chaos on like on a really grand scale. It's like, I've been looking at that and saying yes to that. And this is like, and so this insight, you know, the dam broke around this basically, like that, that saying that surrender to that energy, like the dam, the dam of this like limiting story couldn't hold anymore. So yeah, yeah. it makes me curious too. You know, some of the people that I've worked with are mm -hmm. people in political roles. They're mm -hmm. CEOs and whatever mm -hmm. of massive companies. And so it's interesting to me because there is an element of that. Like these, these are also people turning towards the reality that not all of their constituents know what they're doing, why they're doing it, or are in agreement with it, or can even understand, like mm. may even not have the desire to understand mm -hmm. because what that constituent needs is to be oppositional. Mm. So I'm just like, just feeling for all the textures of this and the role. Yeah. And I bring it up too, because there's a consistent theme of understanding mm -hmm. and it seems like it's just like this really complex territory for leaders. Yeah, I think so. And I'm finding my way into it. There's a, there's a, you know, you have to create freedom so much internally to be able to lead at that level with that many people, like really running Facebook ads in the beginning, it wasn't much of a, a challenge for me, but now that I've been spending, you know, a lot more money on Facebook ads and reaching <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people and having so many people that are so far out from like, the conversation that I'm typically in coming across my stuff and having having had to hire somebody just to remove trolls on a mm -hmm. daily basis because it's so there's so much of it. It's actually been a great experience because like it's been like they're just plenty of people who are going to have a different experience and really giving people the space to have their own understanding of me is how I'm actually feeling more understood because I'm taking I am understood not to necessarily mean in the same way that I understand myself, but everybody understands me in their own way. And so it's like expanding, being understood, is, it, the definition of it is expanding and it's creating, so I'm creating more freedom in that um, overall. Yeah. yeah, and what I feel in that is like one of the things that always comes for me when I'm thinking about like, who is JP? What is what is mm -hmm. he about? Is like what actually comes is again, like a, a practice or a teaching that there is endless value in deciding that nothing can convince you to stop loving. Mm. And it's it's just a way that I experience you, like so much mm. the embodiment of that practice, like that thing, nope, not gonna convince me to stop loving. <laughs> right, um, right. It might so, trick me for a minute or two, but as soon as I catch it, like I'm not gonna right. lie to convince me for sure, yeah. Right, what comes up for you around that, like really prioritizing love and joy in a radical mm. way? Yeah. But one of the big ones was, again, through surrendering to this king archetypal energy is the realization that I've always tried to get it right. And I knew that. And like it's like being OK with getting it wrong. And the first way that I decided that it was OK for me to get it wrong was I made you wrong. And that's OK because I am right action in this Buddhist sense, meaning I am coming from love. And so love was a first step towards where I am now, which is I don't know if it's transcendent of love or the love is just presupposed, but it's like, I may do wrong and that's okay for I am my justification. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's it. End of story. Why is that okay? Because it is. And it's like, there's no, there's no reasoning or rationale. It's like, because it can only come from me. So I have to decide at the end of the day. And that's like, 
you know, that's a slippery slope with great power, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So they say, you know, so as I tend towards that, as I decide for myself, what's okay, what's right and what's wrong, I can, I create so much space for other people to have an opinion that what I'm doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that creates so much freedom for me and for them. In my willingness to do that is such a knowing and trust and a faith in my own inner compass being the highest contribution like I think similarly, as you said, when you when you kind of guided us into this conversation today, like I anchor my faith in my destiny for myself and for everybody in the world in my inner compass over any logic or reason or social constructs or moral frameworks or anything. Yeah. And I mean, that is uh, so we were doing an in-person retreat here this past week mm-hmm. um, at my home, which was I heard from a little birdie. Yeah. 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 It was it was so epic. Um, Awesome. But you definitely came up Mm. and just sort of organically. But I was reflecting on the like what called me to work with you in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like the original, original thing was that thing that you're just talking about because Mm. you were inside of like this creation space and how I was experiencing it right through these videos and a coaching program was like everybody was like, oh, I did it before I even meant to. I I made way more than I wanted to. And you were like, no, it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Um, mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. fiance almost left me, but then right, happened. Right. And so yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you have like a more recent example of how this is expressing itself in your creation. Of how what is expressing myself, like making it, money or, it, or? Well, it, it could be money, but just this, this primacy of love and faith and inner compass, regardless of circumstance. Yeah, I mean, so much. Um, uh, thanks for thanks for clarifying. Um, you know, the first one is the whole like pandemic, and I had a huge awakening around how my commitment and really strong value of honesty, whilst it's been a strength in my life and it's driven my authenticity and my integrity and the development of great relationships with you know lifelong relationships because there's such a trust there because you know, because of that honesty and openness, I found, you know, every, every strength has a, has, is a weakness at its, at its maximum. And I found that my freedom was at the cost of my honesty and truth in the context of when you are given a choice between being vaccinated so that you can move freely around the world or not being vaccinated. And therefore you can't move freely around the world. As long as you are committed to being honest within the frameworks that are given to you. You have two choices. You can either do what they say and go free and move freely, or don't do what they say and don't move freely. And then I heard a I heard a I read a quote by um, Adebayo Akamalafi, a teacher of mine, marinage, which is the act of removing oneself from the control of the slave plantation, was not preceded by honesty or truth telling, but by creative deception and a refusal of the epistemological narrative of the master. And what he means by that is that like, if a slave is gonna leave a slave plantation, the slave doesn't get out by telling the truth. The only way out is to make it up, is to lie. Otherwise, you you either, you're trapped. And so if I'm gonna accept the epistemological narrative that society gives me and be an honest person, then I'm a slave. This is what Nietzsche's whole point was when he talked about the morality. He's like, if you be a good person, 
You are being a good person with, within the framework that somebody else has given to you. If you're being a good person in the, in the eyes of society. Mm -hmm. And so the real freedom is to be like, I'm going to say maybe to all, like, I don't know, like just because that framework is presented, I'm necessarily going to say yes to it. And so, but then what do you do? Because it's scary because when you go out into the unknown, the, 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 the other world where there are no morals and ethics defined, then what do you anchor in? Well, for me, you anchor in your heart. So if I'm not going to go along with this, it's, I can't be bound to honesty and truth to a point where it sacrifices my own personal heart. And so there's a place within me that's more important than agreement with externalities. Most of the time, I can find a way to be an honest, open, direct agreement with things that are out there. But sometimes my heart has a truth that doesn't fit into the multiple choice of you either be vaccinated and you can go in or you're not vaccinated and you can't. So I have to find some transcendent way, some third option um, yes. that that's yes. not, that's not already <laughs> defined. Yeah. In a slightly different way, I was just teaching about this, that the way to receive more into your life is to, I mean, Marion Woodman called it holding the tension of the opposites. And she was mm -hmm. also talking about it in a slightly different way, but to actually hold them both in your consciousness without relenting your heart mm -hmm. and something else appears mm -hmm. right a, a new way mm -hmm. so i get really excited about it um mm. because i i believe in it so deeply and mm. i think it's one of the most important things that any of us can be doing right now mm -hmm. because there are so. things that that are dead and dying and need to be broken down for the new to be expressed. Yeah, I think the new is expressed exactly when you hold the tension of the opposites in place and you allow for something to emerge. I mean, that is the act of conception, right? Like the that that that's like that's literally how life all life is created, but on a cognitive level in a mimetic sense, in an energetic sense, we need to do that with our mind and with our heart. And I have a real simple question that I like to use to help that process along. The holding is the important thing, the energetic thing is the important thing and the question that focuses the attention for that possibility is when I don't want this and I don't want that honoring the resistance on both sides, what I would love is, and then there's just a wait, there's an ask and there's a listen. Mm -hmm. And so that's the invitation for the transcendent piece. And it's like, it's honoring the resistance and an invitation for something transcendent from love. Um, and something always comes. Mm -hmm. Something always comes. Yes. Mm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm so fascinated because this is the first time that I've heard the name of the circle that you're holding mm. for women. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, there's a, a circle that I'm creating and the name that came in was the white tiger inner circle. Whoa. And I was, yeah, <laughs> there's like a whole bunch of- You always have the most badass names for everything. <laughs> well, it just, they just, it's like my kids. I my know. kids told me their names when they were inside of my body, you know? Mm. So it's such a delight, but I was like, well, what, what is the mythology of white tiger? You know, cause mm. the, it had actually been coming in through the retreat. Mm -hmm. And when I looked it up, it said that the lore is that the white tiger only appears when the empress is in her full rulership and there is complete mm. harmony in the world. Mm. Like I just get chills that saying it. Awesome. I like got chills too. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it just makes me so delighted to know that Empress is front and center mm. in the mm. circle that you're holding. But then I also get curious, the distinctions, right? Because you're working with the King archetype 
-hmm. and then the empress circle yeah where does the emperor come in or is there not really a distinction yeah. for you he really really the, for me words are always about like what does it invoke and evoke for a person and the king I think has an like the word king in society today for men has a, a is an access point for a certain kind of energy, mm -hmm. right? Because of the way that the word is used. Like for example, to, to go off topic for a second, to come back, Please. like the word the word the what well, Brene Brown the word vulnerability, yeah, opened a opened a portal for a certain kind of energy, and over time that portal starts to close because of because of the right. in and out of that in and out movement. And so just word, yeah. words have their time. And king felt like the right word for the work right now for men. And queen just didn't feel like the right word for women. It's mm -hmm. been co-opted by lots of different things and lots of different stories. And, that, and it brings up different stuff. I mean, is it a band? Is it a drag queen? Like there's just other things, none of that stuff being devalued, but not not the energy that I was pointing to. Right. And so I've been, looking, I've been looking for the word. And it actually emerged in a conversation with a woman who is uh, most likely gonna join the group and and it was just obvious that that was the word that spoke to it because there's certainly there's the nobility there's the there's the leadership there's the power there's the sovereignty there's the did I say nobility around it that just like there is with queen but like the the piece I really wanted to nail that's that's in one aspect of queen but not in others today is like the the ruling of the ruling of a large swath of people and a community of of an empire yeah. And so it's like, and so to be, so yes, queen and, and empress both rule a nation, rule an empire, but that's the piece that I really wanted to make sure we grabbed with the word. And so what I'm really passionate about, particularly with women, is for them to really get that they can, that they can rule, that they can lead and not with an iron fist, but with a soft and open hand. And for me, the empress is that it's like, the, you know, millions of people will follow her. And she will she will be gentle in her leadership, and like that to me, that's the empress. When I think of the empress, that's why we've come to that word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. I just had that uh, scene from the Never Ending Story come in when you were talking about the gentleness. You, you saw mm -hmm. that movie when you were kidding. yeah, like yeah, a long time ago. Maybe I need to revisit it. But oh, yes, well, as yeah. your boys might really love it. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, without going into the whole thing, I mean, really, that's what it's about. It's that the Empress has become ill. Mm. And it's only at the very end of the movie that we actually get to meet her. Mm. And she's young, you know, she's a child. And just mm. living in this, like, pearl flower. Mm, and there's true. so much, like, presence and radiance and clarity like mm. this, whoever the actress is, I don't know who it was, but she <laughs> played it brilliantly. Yeah, it's it's like archetypal that portrayal. Awesome. I've over the Christmas break, I'm going to watch both that and Dune, which you like flipped out when you heard anything you seen. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, awesome. We're so blessed that there's so much cinema to like enrich all of our like oh yeah all and archetypal juices. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I know. Yeah. Will you talk about restraint? Once you showed up for one of our coaching sessions with a low cut top on, <laughs> and you don't usually do that, and um, and I, it was so low cut that I was like, my heart rate was going up a little bit, and I didn't want to distract the conversation <laughs> for it. What I did, I never, I didn't say this to you, but I just opened a browser window to like Google and then just dragged it over your top, 
and then just hid that part of your body so that wow. it wasn't present that it wasn't present with me because I didn't want to be with that. I want to be with with you beyond that. Uh-huh. And and the reason I mentioned that is I'm present. I actually brought that up yesterday with Kiara. I hadn't thought about it in a while because I was explaining to her an article that I just wrote. Um, I'm writing these articles for Empress Council. I'm picking a client and you know writing to them who I see them, how I create them, a, a female client. And and I was writing to a client that was a model. And I was writing to her about she's more than a model. She's a model human being. And and seeing a woman as more than their physical beauty is an important aspect of restraint that enables me to help my female clients who have physical beauty to express the rest of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like restraint, it starts at the lowest possible chakra, like for me marrying my wife and and then still going to yoga classes with this woman in yoga pants everywhere and I'm still in a male body and it's like the restraint is not just from like flirting with them externally. It's like, what do I do internally to hold that energy in a way that like creates the possibility for it to transmute and like to move into my heart? If I just make it wrong and judge myself, I just build up tension and kind of come out sideways. So for me, the restraint always begins with a, a an honoring and, and a really a welcoming of that energy instead of like making it wrong. Kind of like I said earlier, where it's like, when I don't want that and I don't want that, I'm acknowledging the resistance. I'm acknowledging that, that my body has certain um, aspects that do certain things and that's okay. And when that is, how can I, how can I move that energy into my heart? And so I'm, I'm constantly interested in where, like just loving what is and then utilizing it and moving it into the form for something else. So for me, restraint is about transmutation, not about stopping or limiting. It's about, it's about transforming it into something else. Yeah. I never articulated that way before, but it feels true. I'm so glad. Like, I love it when like, it's like, I've literally never spoken these words before. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, because you you consented to give me your birth information. So I was Mm -hmm. looking through some different lenses. And it's really interesting because in um, these gene keys that are part of the human design world, it is precisely what you're saying. Like, it's just fascinating to me to look at this map where it says literally this energetic gate is in your root Mm. where you become aware of that desire or, or requirement or ask for restraint mm. and that it can be channeled or transmuted into total presence and just like the finest quality of discernment. Mm. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. So that's why you asked me about that, I guess maybe, but like, yeah, it's cool, totally, cool that you totally read that in it. Yeah, but I mean, I'd never even thought about articulating that way and it kind of came through in my explanation in a similar way that you've just said. So yeah. that's really wild, that's awesome. It's so beautiful. Mm. For me, I guess a restraint is a constraint. Like in the creative process, a constraint produces, right? Right. But like all restraint is constraint when it's welcomed, when it's acknowledged and honored. Yeah. I mean, even Viktor Frankl's restraint in the concentration camp was a constraint for the production of his philosophy and his psychotherapeutic mm-hmm. solution and you know, in his, sta- you know, his capacity to stay alive. That's what this whole book about. When you yeah. see the restraint of being in a concentration camp as a constraint to the focus on your purpose. And, you know, it's like, then you, then those are the ones that made it through and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I, I'm loving this because what I think I hear you saying is resistance, you know, it, mm-hmm. that we may pick up on something 
at the outset as resistance. And generally, people are like trying to fix it, trying to be more alone, yeah. like, you know, get rid of it. But yeah. it's said to open to the possibility that it's a restraint and to open to the possibility that that restraint can become a constraint. Like it's just mm -hmm. really, really elegant. Or not even become that it already is. And yeah. the only thing that was making it not was your story that it wasn't. Yeah. Right. You know, I've just watched this beautiful little documentary last night that people have been recommending called um, The Biggest Little Farm. Have mm. you heard of this? I and haven't. I haven't. It's just like a, and it's about this uh, this couple from Santa Monica, where I was from, and, and they wow. and they bought like a couple hundred, they got a bunch of investors enrolled and they got a couple hundred acres and of like dead land in, uh, just north of LA. And, um, and then they created this incredible regenerative farm over the course of 10 years and everything was... Every time they did that something succeeded, something came in and ate it and destroyed it. And so it was like this endless, it felt like this endless fight. Mm -hmm. You know, you grow this food and the birds come and then it's like, it's after it. And then, but then if you just stay with it and you see every restraint or obstacle as a constraint and a path, then what happened at like 10 years is this homeostasis emerged mm -hmm. and everything was beautiful. Everything was in balance. And so I, you know, I take, I, I kind of look at it that way. It's like, it's literally just, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Every restraint is a good thing. Yeah. And a bad thing is what turns it from restraint to constraint or has you awakened to its constraint. It's just like. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I get chills again. And I, it also really brings my attention to parenting. Mm. Like there's a process of development and a piece of land that's just been like decimated. Mm -hmm. likely needs a process that we may not completely understand, might mm. not be in alignment with our desire in the moment, but mm. that we can continue to stay with it, to guide it, to nourish it, mm. and ultimately allow it to flower. I just see that a lot with my kids. They're super mm. easy to parent, actually. <laughs> but a yeah. lot of my parenting is like, how much space can I give them to just do what they need to do? It's beautiful, yeah. To me, that, I mean, that, principle and philosophy, I'm 100% yes to. My practice of that is really comes down to how much space can I give myself to allow my kids to have the space to do what they uh -huh. need to do. Uh -huh. So it's yeah. about, really about me parenting myself. Yes. Yeah. That exemplar of self-love. Yeah. So kudos to you for the, the, the parenting you've given yourself to create the space for your kids to have the space. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think part of it is just my wiring, like I was, I, I feel like I'm wired to prioritize taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe all humans are, right? Until we mm. get just wired. It. Yeah. 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 But I, I do remember watching my mom inside of that, right? Mm. That it, mm. I could tell that there were times where it was really a struggle for her internally to take care of herself in the way that she wanted to and needed to because she was holding it at times as a as a either or right mm -hmm. like either i show up and mother my children or i go take care of myself and mm. i just was like no no that that is mm. not what i want she's such an amazing example and teacher in my life and mm. but yeah i so it was a gift for me, I'm like, what What could my parenting be like if I just didn't make those two opposites, right? If I allowed for that third way to emerge. I'm still finding my way with that. I mean, I'm making massive progress, but the birth of both my kids and my new business with 
the whole team and payroll and the farm and the chickens and all the complexities, the cats, everything. It's like, whilst I've grown in my ability to just be with and go with the flow and, um, and take care of myself, uh, the constraints have grown exponentially as well. So it might not, sometimes it's hard to see how much I've progressed in that because the demands have become so much higher, but I certainly have. I am substantially more chilled out now, despite having way more going on than I was seven, eight years ago with a lot less complexity and responsibility. So that's, it's a huge, it's an exponentially, uh, it's an exponential win, actually. I was just remembering that you turned me onto the left hand of God. That's been present in my life too. That might be worth uh, just sharing since you kind of helped open that door. I mean, I had the dream, but then you helped point to yeah some things about it. Can I share about that a little bit? Oh, please. Yeah. 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 So I've been reading the book, The Left Hand of God, um, just slowly, just enough to keep me in that inquiry and keep that present. Um, I'm enjoying it, but it's not like I'm voraciously reading it for the information. I'm, I'm being with it for the pos- for the possibility of that, of that uh, side or path. My relationship with power has often been through a path of purity you know like i will be pure and clean and do the right thing like i talked about in the ethic and moral framework um, mm-hmm. within the context of that you know my dad was a cop and he also had you know i think a lot of police i don't know probably not all but some of them have that sense of power where like the rules don't apply to me i mean when you're a pl- when you're in your police car you can park in a fire lane right Right. Because you pull up mm-hmm. to a shop and you go and catch the shoplifter and you park in the fire lane. So like, but then like it leaks over because you just kind of get used to it. You spend four fifty hours a week parking in fire lanes and then then you're with your kid and you go in to just pick up something at the store in your regular car and you park in the fire lane. And so that kind of stuff I was really present with as I started to become mm-hmm. cognizant as a kid of like, oh, 150 people are at the store parking in those spaces and my dad's just parking here. What's right. And so I started to see like my dad's like, you got to do the right thing as, you know, being the cop of the house. And then also like, well, the rules don't necessarily apply to my dad. And mm-hmm. so there was this dichotomy that I grew up with that, that was, you know, that, that resulted in, you know, my lack of being able to hold paradox as a kid meant that I had to judge my father mm-hmm. for being wrong. And I'm not going to be like that. And so the path of purity for me was even stronger than it was for my dad because I rejected that aspect of my father. I couldn't hold those both in mind at the same time. And so as I've you know awoken to, to that, essentially that was me the, on the path of the right hand of the father and then mm-hmm. seeking out other father figures and mentors who were exemplars of purity at a higher uh-huh. More in, in a greater sense than my own father, I, in, in my own judgment, of course. And so now I can see that that path whilst it's an aspect of me that's true, it's also uh, well, half the story. And so as I've been exploring the left hand of God through the book and thinking about all the places in my life where I have been just one-armed and I wasn't able to have both arms. And it was like, I would never touch drugs. I mean, I didn't even take a sip of alcohol till I was 30. And so, you know, opening to, you know, psychedelics, for example, mm-hmm. has been something that's been one, oh, I've got two arms. <laughs> I've got a right hand. <laughs> and I, can I might the, have more I, than two arms. <laughs> yeah, I can be at, I can be at the hand. Yeah, exactly. I can be, at, I didn't thought about that yet. I could, I hadn't, I, I could be at the right hand of my father and the left hand of my father. And so it's actually opened up a beautiful conversation with my dad where I'm willing to go places and explore things with him now and seek advice in realms where I hadn't before because of my concern that that would take me down the left hand. And that's not you know, like to talk to my dad, ask my dad tax advice. It's like, I'm not going to go there with my dad or you know, because uh, he doesn't necessarily do everything as straight laced as, as 
I can't sleep at night. That was my story. I couldn't oh. sleep at night if I, you know, told wow. my accountant that that was to expense the massage or something like that through my taxes where it's in the gray. Um, and so, yeah, I can't sleep at night if I'm, if I'm on the left hand of my father, essentially. I couldn't sleep on the left side. And so now welcoming that, you know, going on the psychedelic journeys and expanding my capacity to experience myself and the world in that way, um, being able to, you know, really take Nietzsche's ideas like I shared earlier around like the moral ethical frameworks that have been, you know, that have been imposed upon me and that I've been a kind of a prisoner within and, and questioning them is all, all becomes more available in an embodied sense once I, I honor, you know, both sides of my father and even the mentors that I've had that I've sought out because I saw their, you know, the, the right-handed pure path, I can see the other side. Like there were, there's times with my, my existing mentors where I've rejected or resisted certain directions they were taking me because I didn't know at that time, but now I can say, because that was the left hand mm -hmm. that they, that they were actually trying to have me like see, um, mm -hmm. the path, the path of descent, the path of, you know, um, I guess you could say descent or, or transcendent of the, the supposed moral ethic frameworks. And yeah. And I'm just remembering cause I, I don't know if it was <clears throat> at the same time as the conversation about the left hand of God, but the story of Inanna, I know that I... You shared that with me you, right? around the Empress Council, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's really like the introductory scene, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. she, Inanna, has to go down to hell to be present. Like this is cosmic law. She has to be mm -hmm. present at this funeral. Mm -hmm. And yet she can't. Like she's forbidden because her sister, who's equally as powerful and just, we could say, is like, screw you. You're not, you can't come down here. Bro. Like I'm not letting you in. And so that's the the journey is being able to have both her arms and quite anyway. literally. They're going descent. anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. She did yeah. choose to go anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. had to shed her identity level by level by level and yeah. arrive completely naked. Yeah. Yeah, this word obedience, right? Like, you know, the idea, like my mom and I have been talking about, because my mom is visiting and, and I was telling her about how, you know, she's getting frustrated with our son, Asher, not doing what she says. It was, you could say, um, obeying. And, and I explained to her that like, you know, the philosophy we ascribe to is that, you know, if we give kids space and we ignore the negative and we praise the positive, that um, developmentally it's better in the long run. And it might take a little bit longer to get the behavior you want if you're waiting for it to come from love and from a higher level of cognition than if you inculcate it through fear. Right. You, can get, you can get great behavior, quote unquote, early on if you use enough fear, but there's a cost to that. And, um, and she said, how's that working for you? And I said, well, it depends. If, you mean, if what you mean by that is, are you getting the obedience then it's not working, but that's that that outcome is the point. That is the point. That like we're not we're not holding obedience and a particular behavior as the as the most important thing. We're holding something developmental as more important. And so the same thing for ourselves. It's like it's useful to look at like where we're holding obedience and behavior as primary, mm -hmm. right? Our own obedience and our own behavior as primary. And and what if um, instead of being a good person in the eyes of god or society there was something more beautiful um available or at stake what if what if um living from love and from my heart was more important to me than being obedient and a good person in the eyes of everybody on earth 
yeah. then we might create at least one person in the world who had the capacity to create a goodness greater than had ever been considered before. Take Gandhi, take Martin Luther King, for example. If we can cultivate the capacity to say yes to our heart, we create goods that are that are greater than all the goods that are, already exist. You know, yeah. A possibility for it, I, think, I should say. I'm just noticing, I think that's him on the trampoline. Uh, oh, that's Asher, yeah. Yeah, just being super <laughs> joyful. So, yeah. 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 yeah, so he's doing his. He does. He likes to jump before school every day. Get daily so jumping. Smart. That's yeah. so <laughs> smart. Like get all of your body needs taken mm. care of before you come into this challenging environment, right? Like mm. that's what a great school does, right? It creates some challenge. Mm -hmm. So same for Jacob. He loves to go skateboarding before school. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Is there anything else that you want to share as we start to bring it to mm -hmm. close? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I'm just so happy with how many things we touched and it felt like it feels expansive and we went places I hadn't thought to go. I'm really happy that, yeah, I just feel, I feel empty and complete in a great way. Oh, that makes me so happy. That's my favorite Rumi quote. Really? That's, That's a Rumi quote? Cool. Yeah, this, this life is our playground and death our nighttime. Let us arrive home empty-handed and tired. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So how should people find out more about you? About me? Um, about you, about your... And, and my work. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just listening to that question. I think that's a good question for me. You know, my website is johnpatrickmorgan.com. That's my personal website. Um, my most current work is the work through my company creating which is at wearecreating.com through these places you can find my social media my handle on all those channels is jp morgan jr jp morgan jr on all the platforms so you can find me there uh yeah following my social media is the most up-to-date kind of access to who i am and what i'm doing so have a look say hi awesome thank you so much this was like my ideal podcast creation experience Awesome. I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. Thanks for leading it. Thanks for welcoming us in with the grounding that you did in the beginning and the gentle flow was awesome. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Mm -hmm.